Welcome to the Bad Tooties Podcast. If you are here for the newest, up-to-date, accurate information on the nerdy topics that are near and dear to your heart, then let me tell you, you ended up in the wrong place. But here we are all about hot takes, grandiose displays of misinformation. So stick along for the ride, and you might blow a blood vessel or two. Uh, so today, I'll be taking us through uh, Galerion, the world of Pathfinder. Um... We're going to start after the events of something called Earthfall. Uh, Now, Ian, Earthfall is uh, very prominent to our current Pathfinder Mm -hmm. campaign that Brum is running for us, it seems. Uh, And so for you and our friends that are in the game that might be listening to this episode, I have specifically left out uh, some information that I discovered while researching um, that I think might be a reveal in our story. Uh, and because of that, it is going to be a perfectly vague and also uh, concise summary of what happened with Earthfall. Sounds good. The other thing about that is that a lot of the information about Earthfall comes from different adventure paths. So in order to avoid spoiling for any listeners and myself as we occasionally do go through an adventure path um we're just going to be starting after earthfall but to briefly explain what it is they're early days of galarian uh there are like two big empires this would be the aslanti empire and uh thassalon so before we get too into detail about it, um, I will say Aslanti was in a continent called Aslant, which is gone. Um, and Thessalon is where modern day Verizia is. These empires were immensely strong, technologically advanced, magically advanced, uh, and extremely prideful. Um, because of this pride, Earthfall happened. One of these empires, I won't say which, pissed off an alien race. Um, and this alien race is actually the one that was responsible for pulling humans up into a more technological society. Uh, and so, as a punishment, um, the aliens were like, fuck you guys, and they chucked a planet at Galarian. That sounds about right, yeah. Um... Galarian was on path to be destroyed entirely, and the only reason why the world survived um, was because of the sacrifice of two separate gods. Um, I'm not going to give their names. Uh, I'm not going to give how they defended the world, although it's really fucking Mm -hmm. cool. But basically, in one way or another, the planet that was on course to collide with Galarian was decimated but the shards and now meteors meteors Mm -hmm. meteors struck the planet and were destructive enough to basically cause the downfall of these empires and uh in addition to that there was a uh age of darkness that sort of lasted for a very long time so after the events of earthfall 
we have the uh, geography that we recognize today for Galarian. Uh, like I said, there was once was a continent of Aslant, and I'm not going to explain where it was uh, for yeah, spoilers. Yeah, so just pulling, um, I think I'm just pulling it based off the name. Is that meant to be like modeled off of Atlantis, or am I just pulling the name and sunken continent too far together? Um, I don't have a great answer okay. for you. I think. There's definitely similarities between it being a lost civilization and uh, now no longer being there for one reason mm-hmm. or another. Um, and also, I think if I were to speculate on an answer for this, I would be using information that would be sp- a spoiler. That's fair. That makes sense. So I'm just going to bite mm-hmm. my tongue mm-hmm. here. But now let's go into the more modern Galarian. And now, all of this information that I've used is set for Pathfinder 1st Edition um, because this is what we're familiar with. This is the history that we play in. Um, Pathfinder 2nd Edition changes a lot, and it's a completely new time period for the world, yep. uh, obviously. Um, but in 1st uh, in Edition, Galarian uh, has many different countries. I think it has... Uh, over 20 adventure paths and even more just small like little splat adventures is what they're Mm -hmm. called because they were released in like a magazine issue or something like that so the the regions that I'm going to be covering today um, have very specific reasons why I'm going to be covering them I'm going to talk about Assyrian I'm going to talk about Chelyax I'm going to talk about Ustalov and uh because you run a game in Ustalov, if you have anything that you want to add in uh, about it that I've missed, you can certainly mm-hmm. do so. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the River Kingdoms uh, very briefly. Uh, I'll talk about Verizia probably more than any other region. Um, I'll touch on Irisin, and I'll touch on the Shackles. Uh, the reason why I picked, picked these is because these are regions where some of the biggest adventure paths take place. These are the ones that are renowned by the community as the best. So in Assyrian, you have um, Mummy's Mask. In Chelyax, you have Council of Thieves. In Usulav, we have uh, Carrion Crown, the game that you're running for us. Uh, The River Kingdoms is kind of... uh, It's kind of where... Pathfinder Kingmaker takes place. I'll get into that a little bit more. Um, Verizia has a bunch of them. Yep. Um, Rise of Rune Lords, Return of the Rune Lords, and the one in between. Um, it's got uh, Curse of the Crimson Throne, which takes place in a single city called Gorvosa. Um, Irisin is where Reign of Winter uh, takes place for the majority. And then the shackles has. Um, I say I think skulls, skulls and shackles. shackles. I always get confused whether or yeah. not that's just like another rules book or an AP in and of itself. Right. Because it just introduced. Well, I think it so, actually kind of functions as. Yeah, because it had yeah. to introduce like water combat, basically, or boat combat, yeah. more specifically, yeah. I should say. Um. So we'll we'll start with uh, Assyrian. 
Uh, now, Assyrian is a uh, desert nation, and it is on the southern coast of what is the Inner Sea. Um, the Inner Sea on the southern coast is desert, and then north of the Inner Sea is where Chaliax lies. Assyrian was a sort of great early nation um, uh, post-Earthfall. I have a uh, pre-Earthfall written down here, but it's actually post-Earthfall that this nation like really rose into uh, power and and grandness with uh, through like commerce and trade. Mm-hmm. This is where like a lot of roads sort of it's, it was sort of like a every road leads to Rome situation. Mm-hmm. Every road was into Osirian in the beginning of uh, rebuilding human empires. There was uh, not a whole lot of civilized society outside of this area. Uh, this area being the inner sea, like Osirian and Chelyax. Um So Osirian is your Egyptian, uh, you know, Mesopotamia, Middle Eastern setting. Um, and like this, actually like this entire area known as the Golden Road is, is where you would find like these cultures represented in Pathfinder. Pathfinder draws a lot from real world cultures as I, I think a lot of great fantasy worlds do. Mm. Um, it's always good to have things that you can tie to reality or you can identify with in your world. Um, and the adventure paths that are set in this region are much what you expect. The one in this region is Mummy's Mask. Um, pretty much, you know, without going too much into spoiler territory, uh, it is a big dungeon delving adventure path. Um, lots of ancient lost magics, uh, artifacts, stuff like that. Yeah, from what our DM has told me about that one, it, the whole beginning is like you're in a competition to see who can delve into the next tomb first. They like reopen some closed-off district of the city that holds a bunch of tombs and things, and you get to go find all of your relics and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Which sounds absolutely um, sick. That sounds like a very fun adventure. Yeah, path. and a lot of this, a lot of this stuff comes from uh, the fact that this was one of the first civilizations that sort of swelled up to greatness uh, post Earthfall, and then as it reached that decline, um, you know, people condensed a lot more into areas. And the other thing is that it's a desert nation, so. Uh, there's only so many places that uh, a society can sort of uh, inhabit in these locations, uh, you know, like oases and stuff like that. Um, and you see that much the same here. Oases and coastal cities is where uh, the majority of the populations are centered. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, we go to Chelyax, which is everybody's uh, favorite little... little uh, demon simps yep. uh but they didn't start off that way actually um they were uh less totalitarian as they are now um not so much obviously the bad guy um 
but they were a conquering empire. Um, I would compare them to Rome because at their strongest, they covered uh, the entirety of the area north of um, the Inner Sea. They, uh, they controlled what is uh, now like Nermathus and Last Wall, um, and they even went as far as Corvosa and Verisia. But then, you know, as as we see with the empires of Galarian, they rise and fall. And uh, Chelyax uh, fell when a uh, family that worships the literal lord of hell, Asmodeus, mm-hmm. uh, took control. Um, That'll do it. And because of that, the uh, there's like this weird dichotomy where there it is. It's a totalitarian rule but society is kind of just anarchy where demons and devils are existing freely in society there and it's like uh hey guys what the fuck's going on here sort of Mm -hmm. thing uh and the citizens within chelyax are uh oppressed they are uh you know, hunted for slavery. Uh, I think it's halflings. Yeah, it's halflings that are um, are slaves in Chelyax. I mean, they halflings have um, had it too good for too long. It's about time, honestly. Stop. <laughs> That's no. Just a little. Sh- no, they're, we're gonna... they're scouring the Shire. It's fine. Uh, no. Um, but. Uh, what is interesting, so uh, you have Council of Thieves here, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very political campaign. Um, you also have uh, these sort of dueling adventure paths um, where one of them is you're beginning a rebellion in the northwest uh, region of Chelyax, and the other one in the capital, you are quelling a rebellion. Uh, and it's that adventure path actually where Anti Paladin comes from. Oh, as really? A player That's option. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that's just it's just it's it's an adventure path where you're allowed to be expected to be evil, mm-hmm. uh, actually. Um, but now we are going to move uh, northeast of the inner sea and we're gonna move to right before that also chiliex is i'm correct in saying that that's where a very contentious topic in our play group has come from of rasmir being in charge of chiliex right or do i have that wrong i that is brum's home oh is it okay is actually east of oh all right uh his nation but um our dm has uh set us what is it like 200 300 years uh in the future of where yeah our last game rise of the rune lords yep, ended that sounds about right and um uh, i don't want to speak too much on on his of story course. um without sounding like an ass but razmir has become incredibly powerful he is the uh he is me and ian's favorite god because he is actually just a Mm -hmm. wizard (laughs) that is level 19 uh 
and and that is not necessarily true in our dm's writing he may have ascended we're not sure um but in pathfinder first edition canon he is either level 18 or level 19 wizard who has just convinced enough people through his uh feats of powerful magic that he is a god um which is just it's just so great i love it so much hey Listen, the fact that wizards can bend reality to the point where they are basically accepted as gods is not an indication that they are in overpowered class or no, anything. No, no, certainly not. Um, I mean, sorcerers can do it, too. Yeah. They have the same spell. They list. do. So, uh, I mean, checkmate but, to that. But they don't, have to, they don't have to work for it in the same way. you got to put in the hours to be a level 18 wizard. you got to just... That's you just, true. just gotta have That's someone true. fuck a dragon a couple generations back to be a good sorcerer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, so you, so you're saying there's even there's even less pride to being a sorcerer? I would say so. Yeah, I I feel like I'd stand behind that. There isn't no pride, but it's a lot more. I felt like your stance was sorcerer is better than wizard. Is that just because uh, prepared caster versus spontaneous? In yeah, yeah, it's just that. That's the okay. only reason. I just don't like prepared casting. You don't want to have a competition with your character to see who has a bigger spellbook? No. A bigger physical spellbook? No, that that sounds, was the funnest part about playing that my That sounds wizard. awful. I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to write down my spells every day. It's a spontaneous, oh, spontaneous casting for life. I'll stand by it. I, w- I will say, if my current character dies, I will be playing a spontaneous caster for the first time. Yeah, like ever. Uh, and I'm terrified. Man, that's an interesting rogue that you have planned. Wild. <laughs> He's not a rogue. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Druid for two sessions, and then we'll see. Fuck off. Uh, so, Ustalov. God. Pathfinder Druid. Uh, yes, Ustalov. Um, yeah, I'll say, I'll say my part on this, and then uh, I'll let you... Uh, give your take because I am very much coming from a player I didn't look at this uh, at all in terms of uh, research Mm -hmm. because everything comes from the adventure path that we're playing in so this is everything that I've got um, from your game you're going to see a fun look into my mind of how little I actually know about (laughs) Ustalov and uh, all all of the history of it I I know the adventure path not the history (laughs) Yeah, um, so it is east of Varesia, uh, west of the River Kingdoms, and uh, northeast of Cheliax. Um And it was once controlled by an evil lich lord, who I will only call the Whispering Tyrant, mm-hmm. because I'm not confident in pronouncing Zan Kuthan or whatever. Uh, I've always just gone with... If we're if it is the correct one, Tarbafon is how I've always said. Oh, Tarbafon. Yeah. Oh, Zan Kuthan is a yes, god. Yes, Tarbafon is the whispering tyrant. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. See exactly. Not even confident. <laughs> I took a shot in the dark. Uh, all right. So, as a player, this place is you. You can just tell. Just every description that you give is is desolate and you know filled with despair um it really feels like civilization is existing uh in spite of the entirety of the region you have vampires Mm -hmm. you have werewolves you have undead menaces and secret societies you have a history of serial killers ghosts spirits and other less desirable members of a society things that 
prey on society itself is really tough uh, to, you know, contend with. And they're all over the place in this Mm -hmm. region. For anybody that knows Magic the Gathering, this is very much like the Plain of Innistrad. Every city seems to be a bastion of humanity that is standing out against the nature of this region itself. And all of them have tendrils of evil, sin, fear, just gripping the population into a sort of paralysis. Uh, The roads are dangerous. The woods are dangerous. Uh, The people in the city sometimes are dangerous. Unassuming things at one point just turn around and kill you. Um, And this is where Carrying Crown takes place, which has been described as a horror adventure path. Uh, And I think rightfully so. Yeah, it's for the non-Magic the Gathering people or 5e people, it's either, I've always thought of it as either Dracula's Transylvania, to put it into like the most high terms of just, it's a spooky place with bad things, or it's incredibly similar to Barovia in Curse of Strahd. Those are, like, the real good comparisons. It's like, they're named something else, but it's all basically the same thing when it comes down to it. Yeah, and I think uh, the sun probably does shine in Ustalov, but when I'm playing as Irwin, my character in your game, um, there's never sunlight that touches his skin. You there's know, always at e- least even clouds. If, yeah, it just, it just feels like just, like, the most depressing... Uh, dreadful you know like the worst place uh, to sort of exist uh, in Galarian which might be a a stretch to say because uh, I did just talk about uh, slavery and and the demon capital and Jellyax but I think I can stand by that statement it's just like in terms of just existing, Ustalav is, is pretty bad because it's it's tough there. Yep, I completely agree. To throw in the bits that I do know, uh, as we are currently going through in Carrion Crown Book 4, um, this actually introduces Call of Cthulhu canon into the Pathfinder universe. I actually just showed Tyler. Luckily, it's not a spoiler for the game. Uh, in Book 4 of Carrying Crown, there is a stat block for a star spawn of Cthulhu at CR 20, which is just absolutely fucking wacky. Um, all of the Call of Cthulhu canon being pulled in, they actually worked with the actual Call of Cthulhu people. It was like a joint effort to write this book. So it's like, not only do you have your standard werewolf vampire undead menaces to contend with you also have the outer world gods and outer world lovecraftian horrors to contend with as well it's it really is just a a shit place to live in you're simply subsisting no one's the only people really prospering are the aristocracy who have gone through a number of petty civil wars about you know just your standard aristocracy bullshit of you have my land or you have more money yeah let's land feuds let's uh ruin all of our citizens lives because we want that extra five thousand gold coming in every week when every farmer is making 
fucking 10 silver a year like it's it's a shit place to live you don't want to be there you're you're born there and then you don't have the money to leave so you're or the yeah so really. you're just kind of in Ustalov. it's not not a great place a lot of a lot of ghosts a lot of hauntings it's it's not fun but it's a real fun setting to play in. I it's technically my I third agree. time running through Carrion Crown at this point. Even though That's true. you've never gotten to the Lovecraft. No, though, this is this is, is my good, first time through. We're not there. Yeah, my first group. And it's terrifying. My first group through got almost through the second book when I ran it for you guys and our normal D and D crew. We got uh, all of two sessions in, where two weirdwood players made it nigh impossible to make progress in the story whatsoever and now we're finally in their, book four their concept was heart it was and inspired truly in uh, in a one shot i want them to bring it back very badly because it's absolutely hilarious and i loved it but trying to run a story with two player characters who do not understand anything in the mortal world and their way of figuring it out is breaking everything around them and just sowing chaos don't get me wrong very ustalov very in in theme but also absolutely impossible to run for the uh the words that i remember them describing it as is uh a newborn with an intelligence of 20. yep so everything had to be tested everything they didn't understand the reality around mm -hmm. them as they were born into sentience yeah this this uh, glass bottle containing liquids that's a little that's new that's unheard of how how do we figure out how it works well we throw it on the ground and we break it and then we analyze how it broke oh what do you mean that was alchemist fire what do you mean half the town is burned down interesting stuff they uh but the two that played this are also the two that could just take that theme and and use it to break somebody in in much the way that I think they did you where they took like 20 minute conversations oh. about a vial of water and they're having the most fun and then the other players of the DM are like can we do literally yeah, anything yeah. else how about you two yeah but our friend just died yeah how about you two hop into a different voice channel and you guys yeah, have exactly. this discussion jerk off about this vile when water. you're done with it please come back and give us the cliff notes we want to hear them but like there is story we need to accomplish every session can't yes. have an hour and a half of that conversation also we love you guys uh and we're actually recording this on one of your birthdays we actually so are happy, happy birthday, birthday. Uh, let's go to the Red Yeah, Lake yeah, Games. for sure. Talk about some Kingmaker. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be pretty short on this one. Um, the main reason why I want to mention this is uh, I want to say in my heart that Kingmaker is now the most popular adventure path mm -hmm. because it was made into a CRPG. Two I don't of know them. if the most. Uh, well, so. Oh, no, the other King one Maker is. is the yeah. first one, and then Wrath of the right, Righteous, right. which takes place north of this area. Um,. Is the second one. I don't know if Kingmaker is played as much on paper, um, much because it's political. 
It's exploration and it's sandboxy, which is every player's dream and every DM's Everest. Mm -hmm. In the best way. Um, like Much like our Starfinder game that we ran for a little over a year, I think you would agree there can be hiccups. Yeah. But when everybody's focused on achieving the, swim, the same sort of thing and you are communicative with your DM uh, in what that thing is, uh, it can be a really fun time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's not one where you can have, like, you can have a hidden agenda, but, like, you need to be at least communicating that with your DM, otherwise it's it's simply not going to happen. Like, you you have to be clear of what you want to do. Yeah, so, so Kingmaker is set in the River Kingdoms and also starts in, like, the surrounding areas. Uh, basically, the way I understand it um, is you are sponsored by the neighboring kingdoms to go set up a kingdom. Mm -hmm. um, and you're setting up a kingdom in the area known as the Stolen Lands. Um, you build your own kingdom. You manage a kingdom, which is fun for some people, dreadful for other yep. people. Um, and this is all just from online discourse that mm -hmm. I've seen. And then towards the end of the story it seems like there's a much more uh, large problem that you get hints through. Um, but, yeah, I think the main reason why I want to mention this area of the world is because this is where the CRPG, the computer role-playing game, um, takes place uh, for Pathfinder Kingmaker. Mm. Uh, and then Wrath of the Righteous takes place north of this area. Um, in an area I think it's called yeah the world wound and around there in like Numeria mm. um, but the uh, the area around the river kingdoms like Brevoy is a nation that sponsors you or can be like an ally to you uh, there's Ustalov um Resmirin. Yeah, I'd say I'm looking at the map uh, and Resmirin is, is right is in there. there. Yeah, uh, and then there's Numeria too. So like that's the surrounding area. Um, this, in terms of like geologically, is you know like uh, because it is sort of based around like a feudal Europe. The geography is very similar to like a France or um, or Germany or like Western mainland Europe uh, sort of area. Mm. Uh, very uh, cool adventure path from what I've heard. So moving past the River Kingdoms, let's talk about uh, Veresia, our beloved home when it comes to Pathfinder, or at least that's the way that I think of it. I, yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, so uh, we played Rise of the Rune Lords. Uh, we played that game for like two and a half, almost three years, right? I think three, three and a half. I think it was longer than that. It, we, it could very well in could fairness, be, yeah. we had like a three or four month period where we didn't play when we were around, around the holidays. Yeah, year, holidays right? and transitioning yeah. out of college is when we like kind of yeah. took a break and then picked it up back in the summer. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I do remember. So that. there was um, that contributing, but so probably yeah. around just uh, just we spent under a lot of time yeah, just Greece, under yeah. three years realistically without that break and then we also returned to it for simply too much time in our current campaign as well yeah 
Um, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> anyway, hey, our navigator lost his way. It's fine. Yes. Uh, Verizia was once known as Thassalon. Uh, that is one of the uh, ancient empires that I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was ruled over by uh, these people known as the Rune Lords. Um, and each Rune Lord is associated with a uh, with one of the seven deadly sins. Um, and then what Pathfinder did is they tied each of those sins to one of the schools of magic with the exception of divination and I think technically uh, I should include universalism because that is a choice that you can make as a wizard and also there is uh, two spells in the universal school Mm -hmm. but eventually uh, Thassalon fell for some reason Um, probably Earthfall uh, but it could also be for another reason Um, and the Rune Lords disappeared. As who knows if they will rise? Who's to say? Who, who's who who's to say? Was that the last adventure path released for first edition? Uh, it, it was. Uh, it may, it may yeah, have been. it was. But like, like we said, who's, so it starts with who's r- to say? Uh, return and, or it starts with Rise and ends with Return. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also another... Um, there's one in between them that I can't remember the name of. But in between those two adventure paths, there's a uh, there's one that like bridges the gap between the two. Um, uh, but as civilization returned, and we get to modern day Verizia, uh, it is sort of a city state structure mm-hmm. um, with sort of these big cities sort of governing the smaller ones. Uh, or, like, the villages on the outskirts. Um, so you have, like, Riddleport, Magnamar, and Corvosa. Um, those are the big ones, uh, and they also have adventures set within them, so they're the most fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're a key location for the adventure path. It's not necessarily that uh, it's set there, but it is a key location. In general, Verizia has a Mediterranean-style uh, culture, and that is very simple... Uh, simplifying the Mediterranean culture into sort of a couple big cultures that they take from. Uh, and it, it, it's just the way that Verizia is laid out. Um, all of the big city-states are on the coast or near the coast. Yep. And um, a lot of the ethnic groups and the naming structures of those groups or the cities uh, take inspiration from these cultures like Spain, Italy, Greece, um, the surrounding areas as well. Mm. Uh, I think you have a sort of Romani-esque people, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, um, yeah, I believe so. I am going to touch on um, uh, Verizia is sort of like... Uh, it's interesting. The most adventure paths are set in Verizia in terms of regions and countries. Um, and the way that the civilization works is it's like, like literal pockets of civilization, like Riddleport, Magmar, and Corvosa. Uh, and then there is like areas of wilderness and stuff like that between them. There is also a large mountain range, uh, to the north, 
um, which may have uh, dwarfs in it, or that could be our GM's insert and his love of the uh, dwarven race and all of fantasy. True. The old Thassalon was also divided into these sort of city-states, a region of Verizia going to each rune lord, and I guess to each sin. And uh, rune lords were basically just very evil wizards uh, that were sort of tyrants in their own rights. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe they weren't that bad, right? Hey. Like, is it really that bad to, like, be friends with a rune lord or, like, have one? In your brain? It in your brain and then, like... And then, like, put yourself into a book and make them your body? Yeah, like, is is it the worst thing to let a rune lord possess you is, I guess, the question um, that I'm asking. That's debatable. If, if they are... If they are a lord that was uh, dethroned and is seeking to gain power again, and definitely they were evil, I, would that be like the worst thing? I don't quite see anything wrong with that personally. No, I think that'd be fine. Okay, I think I agree. Yeah. Actually, one hundred percent. I will say, Rise of the Rune Lords was a great adventure path. Just in terms of uh, story, obviously the people that you play it with uh, matters. Very but influential the story and the and the plot, in itself, I think could work with many groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like I kind of want to call it basic in a good way. Of like, there's a lot of depth to it, and there's some very good story beats. But it is kind of a standard like good versus evil type of story yeah. in a way not that there's anything wrong with that at all but like it's not the most like oh my god this is revolutionary in the world of storytelling but every single part of it is done very well and very well handled yeah i mean you're the heroes exactly right? but yeah and in, in efforts of keeping this episode short uh we should get off of verizia and our characters that we love so much uh, and let's just briefly touch on uh, Earson and the Shackles because they don't have too much to say about these places besides just some fun things. Some kind of quirky um, info on these two. Uh, cer- certainly on Earson. So yeah. Earson is uh, way to the north of Verizia. Um, basically, Arctic Circle of real world. Um, and it is a frozen country that is ruled by witches that are either descendants or chosen by Baba Yaga. Mm-hmm. Uh, every 100 years, she returns and chooses a new leader. Um, super cool setting, I think. Uh, if if you were if I were to do a homebrew, I think it would be in Irison. Um, it's a very cool place. I played for a, a good six months or so of playing Reign of Winter and getting into that. Right. And it's a very cool continent to dive into. Or yeah. country, not continent. Um, yes. Uh, so there's like the whole witch thing going on. There's a, uh, a subculture of the people that were originally there before Baba Yaga and all of her witches, um, which are called white witches. Um, they're a subculture of like the Scandinavian and the Viking uh, sort of inspired culture um, that sort of coexists 
alongside uh, the the witches and the people under under the witches' rule. Um, and then I'd like to mm-hmm. introduce my favorite mm-hmm. fact about Yerkson. Uh, I think it's also your favorite fact because mm-hmm. holy fuck is this funny. But there is a slight spoiler for Reign of Winter. <clears throat> uh, in the I think it's the fifth book yep. of Reign of Winter there are events that involve the very real uh, historical figure named uh, Rasputin um, and by the conclusion of Reign of Winter uh, the uh, secret daughter of uh, Sarina Alexandra and uh, Rasputin is put on the throne. Her name is uh, Anastasia Nikolaevna, and because of this, because they did this, and Rasputin is in the game, uh, and he is canonically a child of Baba Yaga within Pathfinder, that also makes Earth canon. Because if you go to the Pathfinder wiki. And you look at Anastasia Nikolaevna, she's from Russia. So, Earth, our reality, is canon in Pathfinder. Uh, to take it a step further, with uh, another layer of spoiler on top of it, uh, so skip this if you intend on playing Reign of Winter. Not only is it canon because of that, you canonically go to World War One Russia. If you look in the pathfinder equipment you can find an m1419 grenade as a piece of equipment you are canonically in earth and you fight rasputin i mean and that's only so much of a spoiler because the name of that book is rasputin must die and you fight him in real life world war one russia so it's pretty cool so along with call of cthulhu being canon in pathfinder so is earth earth is canon which has always led me to wonder if this is some kind of a continuation of earth or they are on somewhat separate planes in time as there is time skipping in other adventure paths so i've always wondered Uh, if that actually ties into it or not i would go more so to the fact that Earth is another plane of existence outside of the material plane. Okay, gotcha. Um, without having read the books or uh, played it, I don't have the answer that Pathfinder provides. Right. Um, but I would assume that you plane shift there or something similar. Mm. And then just as an aside, Anastasia Nikolaevna Romanova was a real person in history. She was the last child of Tsar Nicholas II of Russia. She lived to the age of 17 until she was assassinated. And we are not trying to erase a person by calling her uh, a character in a TTRPG. Uh, We're also not trying to weigh in on any political opinion on this young woman. Uh, But it is very fun to include this part of Pathfinder lore because uh, the implications are like we said, immense. But also, diving into our political opinions on the Stop. topic... Stop. <laughs> we are not... No. <laughs> no. Hey, I... No, I'm, we're brushing past that. I've so watched shackle- Oversimplified. I'm qualified to talk about it. I want to talk about pirates. I always want to talk about That's pirates. That's true. You do so always want to talk about pi- pirates. The shackles. I also purposefully left this area vague 
uh, because from what I understand, our DM uh, pulled a lot of information from this campaign mm-hmm. to give us this homebrew world that he's he's sort of using. Um, it is an area of islands that have pretty much two adventure paths that take place. One of them is more Indiana Jones-esque in terms of like delving ancient ruins, looking for artifacts, uh, uncovering lost mysteries. And the other is Skull and Shackles, which is uh, a pirate theme adventure. Um, it's based around exploring. There's a political aspect in terms of your crew. Uh, there's naval combat that is introduced. Uh, you know, good old swashbuckling, um, sailing around the area. Uh, and like I said earlier, this is where uh, the continent of Aslant was uh, before it got absolutely fucking owned by those aliens that threw an Earth that threw a planet at it yep. uh, in Earthfall. Um, this is the southwest area in terms of uh, relation to the inner sea. So that's the shackles. It's a group of islands. Uh, there's also like a big swirling uh, uh, constant storm there, you know. Uh, just like classic pirate setting. Um, if you want to run a pirate campaign, you should probably pick up this book uh, or, or find it online somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we get to close the episode with uh, uh, I, our favorite topic of recent times. I would like to say rest in peace, the Jade Regent. Ty, Tyler didn't find it important enough to cover because it's it's the adventure path. Like I simply said, isn't very like good. Like I said, we're scratching we're scratching the surface. I think that area is going to be explored way more in second edition Pathfinder. Which is good. Um, it should be. It's, it's good. It seems interesting. It but, oh, it turns out Weeby Goblins takes place there, it looks like. That's fun. Uh, and the Jade Regent. Yeah, I'm on the Jade Regent so adventure path, and the related publications are Weeby Goblins. But from That's what I've so heard, funny. unfortunately, the adventure path is... It isn't bad just compared to some of the absolutely spectacular adventure paths that one's just just a little mid so it gets ignored a little bit unfortunately the flavor of it too was very foreign to pathfinder when it first got released it really was eastern um eastern weapons Mm -hmm. eastern uh you know east asian influence and stuff like that uh it's not something that's like super prominent and uh typical ttrpg fantasy right like dnd and stuff so um it probably wasn't received very well for, for that reason as well exactly yeah let's talk about wizards we have to yeah uh not the class i he could talk about wizards go on forever, about the class yeah. but i gotta talk about wizards of the coast so they uh a little while ago they released sort of an updated uh, open gaming license mm-hmm. on uh, on D&D. 5th edition D&D. What is the next one going to be called? I, one? I believe 1 D&D or D&D 1. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, basically, uh, 
Wizards of the Coast and their parent company Hasbro sort of made a stance uh, about the homebrew and uh, um, supplemental resource community that surrounds 5th edition and thrives. Um, if you think about source books that are written to be played in 5th edition um, alongside 5th edition rules and stuff like that, uh, Wizards released something that said, in the future, after you make a certain amount of money using our, like their property, their rules and stuff like that, they would get a cut of it. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I've seen the Legal Eagle yep. uh, YouTube episode on this. I want to reference that because it seems like in his episode, maybe all of this stuff that they were talking about was maybe not so bad because it seems like you can't copyright the actual rules of a game. Yeah, you can more copyright the thing. So in your... Yeah, the characters, the world, mm, the... Yeah. You can't use the Tarask, um, but you can call it the Morask and use all of the same stats because they can't copyright something like that. Yes. Uh, but I will say... I think the community was right in their outrage and their blatant uh, uh, disregard for the community's opinions and on stuff like this. Mm. And uh, it was disrespectful for them to t- try and just get more money out of the community. Um, and this goes along with everything that's been happening in Magic the Gathering, which mm. we haven't talked about. Um, but the 30th anniversary of Magic the Gathering was the biggest... Uh, like Just fuck you to the community I've ever face. seen. Yeah. Um, the premiere product was a reprint of beta, limited beta, um, with a couple cards removed because they're insensitive and from a different time, uh, and they're not real game pieces, Yay. and they were sold at one thousand dollars a box or yep. fucking ridiculous mm-hmm. for four packs. Four packs uh, to maybe get the overpowered cards, but probably not. And even if you do, they're not legal anyways. Yeah. And uh, pretty much the response was, you know, this product might not be for you mm-hmm. if uh, if the price tag scares you away. Yeah. And it's like, fuck, what? How are you releasing products for your community that's not for the entirety of the community? Mm-hmm. Um, just because, one, people are upset that you're printing what is essentially a proxy and selling it at a thousand dollars yep again the community was right to be upset about that and i will say i'm not sure how much wizards themselves as much as i will take every two opportunity i have to shit on wizards of the coast i don't know how much they were at play on this versus hasbro because i've heard that in some of the board meetings it Hasbro, they kind of realized that both magic the gathering and dungeons and dragons make up around 50% of their overall profits and a lot of the board members went wait why aren't we monetizing this like we've monetized our other big properties which are pretty much G.I. Joe Transformers in My Little Pony are like their other like really big three profitable ones and they went why haven't we been doing this here and then they went well let's fucking start so they went, let's yep. get as much money as we can. So I don't know how much of this comes from 
Wizards specifically or Hasbro going, you need to be making more than 50% of our annual revenue. Yeah, I think uh, Wizards might have their hands tied here. Yeah. Um, and some aspects. Uh, but still. Yeah, not to I absolve like them of some, sin, certainly. I'm sure the Wizards board wants more money advocacy. as well. Yeah, there could be some community advocacy going on from Wizards mm-hmm. uh, that there just certainly is not. So Yeah. Uh, with that out of the way, I think if you're upset by that and you're like, do I even want to play 5th editions anymore? Do I want to buy any of the new books? Do I want to play D&D 1 or 1 D&D or whatever the fuck? D&D all will be one for XU Returns. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Pathfinder 1st Edition is daunting. It is certainly a dictionary of rule book. Um, we, we get into a lot of discussion over some strange rules in my current carrion crown campaign certainly certainly yes and i think it can be a little bit intimidating but it is absolutely worth it the world is just as written out Mm -hmm. as forgotten realms if not more so they've had more time it's existed for a longer time than fifth edition has so they've had time to like get everything really solidified and put in good lore and really build everything out. And uh, I think if first edition is not something that you feasibly want to undertake, which is uh, as much as I hate to say, understandable. um, I think what you could do is play second edition from everything that I've heard. They've made great changes to second edition since releasing it. Mm -hmm. And it has that sort of, uh, uh, character customization and great rules that first edition has that we love. Yeah, if you um, don't want to go into the full number crunch of Pathfinder, which is, as you said, daunting at first, isn't realistically as bad as we make it out. Once you figure out how to build a character, it's really not that bad. Getting your numbers is a pain, but once your numbers are there, they're there and they're not really changing all that much but second edition really streamlined everything a bit too much in my opinion but i have also heard a lot more praise for second edition since i basically beta tested it at gen con a couple years ago right right um yeah so if uh for whatever reason uh you think I can't play Dungeons and Dragons anymore. I'll never buy a Wizards product again, which I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do. Um, I'm certainly going to keep buying Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. at least singles, and keep playing it. Yeah. Uh, you can still play 5th edition. Um, nobody's going to come and, and tell you that it's wrong to play 5th edition if that rule set really sticks with you. I just think uh, there there has been discussion, at least among like some of my friends, that they don't want to touch fifth edition again mm-hmm. um they don't want to run it they don't want to play in it um they just feel like it's at this point they feel like it's a money grab uh and i can't really tell them that they're wrong for that opinion mm-hmm. uh so if if that's the opinion that you have and you feel like it's uh, a little gross here's here's pathfinder here's a very brief scratch at the surface of the world of pathfinder yep and one of the big 
very brain dead takes that we discussed at some point is especially with plain fifth edition if you don't want to buy any more books that's fine but i've seen people like i'm throwing out all of my fifth edition books i'm done with this that's yeah. stupid and fucking brain dead is it a money grab yes but your money Certainly. has been grabbed they're, they they're not getting more money for you having your core rule book keep playing it if you enjoy it it's stupid to be like i'm throwing all of this out fuck wizards you've already dumped 500 dollars into these into books, the books yeah. don't get rid of them that's fucking stupid you- You've got the, you know, the release edition of all of the new books, the the Player's Handbook, DM Guide, and the Monster Manual. You bought the collector's set. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got uh, the alt cover for the Strixhaven. You have the alternate cover for um, the... I don't want to say Traveler's Guide, but it's it's something to Barovia, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for game set in that setting. Yep. Uh it, your money's gone. You're not getting it back. Um, keep enjoying keep it books, if you enjoy it. Play the game. You know, people still play three five. Yeah. People still play four e, even though I think that's objectively wrong to do. Correct. Uh, but you know, it, if it brings you joy, keep doing it. Um, I can understand canceling like a D and D Beyond subscription. Absolutely. Because. That was purchased by Wizards of the Coast not too long ago. Yep. And it's no longer a fan-made resource. It's now a subscription-based resource that goes right to Wizards. Mm -hmm. So that's a good way to to show sort of protest. I think uh, they lost a lot of D&D Beyond subscriptions. Thousands of them from what I saw. Yeah, when they they pulled that move with the announcement. So they have since walked it back. I don't know. I don't know if that's deserving of praise, though. Yeah, walking their, back. Their walk an back statement was sort of like, decision. "Oh, we got this wrong." Uh, you know, we still we still want to change our OGL, but clearly uh, not like this. Th- this is not the way. And it's like, okay, uh, you know, yeah. They they just there's a disconnect between the community and Wizards of the Coast mm-hmm. and uh, and both D and D and magic so yep just wanted to touch on that as we wrap up this episode of uh of bad tutors yep coming out uh soon after this one will be a kind of cursory look into the world of bloodborne which i absolutely lost my mind looking into as it is now one of my favorite soulsborne games and uh we got we, we should have that coming out rather soon after this episode But for now, I've been Ian. I've been Tyler. And this has been The Bad Tutors. Thank you for listening, and uh, hope you have a great week, day, weekend, whenever you're listening, and uh, hope you come back for the next one. Take care, friends.